It's time for our Plain Politics partnership with the Star Tribune editorial board. Today it's John Rash and Patricia Lopez. Good to have you both on. Let's start with inflation. Inflation, I'll read from a uh, Reuters story, uh, AP story. Inflation slowed in April after seven months of relentless gains, a tentative sign that price increases may be peaking while still imposing a financial strain in American households. Consumer prices jumped 8.3% last month from 12 months earlier. Again, 8.3%. That was below the 8.5% year-over surge in April. So it's a small amount. It is still crushing to so many people. John, I'll go to you first, and then, Patricia, you jump in also. You see these categories of things people buy on a regular basis or on an occasional basis, and the pricing is up 10 20 30 40%. This is hurting Joe Biden a great deal. Um, and I think any president who was dealing with inflation at this level also would be suffering. He gave a speech yesterday. Pointed a lot of blame at the Republicans. Talked about the different principles he has compared to Republicans. He's now uh, going to travel the country and make this case. Is his case viable with independents and with Democrats who are frustrated with the direction of the country right now? Not anywhere near what it would need to be to reverse the probable fortunes of the Democratic Party in the upcoming midterm elections. Certainly, inflation, like any economic dynamic, is multifactorial. There are all sorts of components to this. COVID and China's strict no-COVID policy and the supply chain disruptions that that represents, certainly the war in Ukraine and the resulting sanctions, which are imperative that the West continue with, but it does interrupt energy supply, among other uh, consumer goods. And you have the spending that the country has been on to respond to some of these problems, especially COVID. So there are all sorts of aspects to this, but especially with inflation, as Jimmy Carter in the Democratic Party and Gerald Ford, let's not forget, found out before him, it can have a big big political cost along with the economic one. So I think that... uh, the more that he talks about this within a political context and it doesn't get solved, he may end up uh, associating the Democratic Party with this more than anything. Patricia, what did you think of uh, Joe Biden's explanation, his differences with uh, with Republicans, and his balance of trying to own this and also talking about external factors? I think it's far more important um, that he talk about the positive things he's going to try to do um, to make changes in the economy than trying to affix blame. Um, That kind of blame game can go on among congressional Republicans and Democrats, but I think it it hits a little differently when the president tries to do it. Um, We want him to lay out a vision for where he wants to take the country on inflation. And then he's certainly free to, you know, hammer on Republicans all he wants about whether they will or not won't go along with these initiatives. I haven't seen many bright ideas on their side either. 
for that matter, about how to tackle this. It's fine to complain about it, but what are you going to do about it? Um, and the fact is there's, you know, there are limited means at, at our disposal. Um, some of those are lie with the Fed, um, which neither party really has control over. Um, I just, I think um, the eight, you know, 8.3, 8.5% is also translates differently in terms of um, household goods. I noticed that eggs that um, a few months ago were selling for 62 cents a carton uh, last week were $3.29 a dozen. That is a staggering um, increase yeah, in cost exactly. in basic commodities that um, Americans just can't, you know, I've, I frankly have never seen those kind of increases in, in my lifetime. Pat, you're right about, well, you're 100% right about these staggering increases. Some of it mm-hmm. is just the presidency, though. And when opponents, and whether they want to get in depth and point out what they have compared to of fixing the blame, when the folks who are willing to listen, I mean, listen, there, there's a huge percent of Republicans who just believe in Republican principles, and they're not going to mm-hmm. support Joe Biden. But for the independents mm-hmm. and maybe the center-left folks, I think some of them say, you're the president. Your party controls the House, not by a lot, but controls it, and controls the Senate by the slimmest margin possible. Right. So we're Mm -hmm. having a tough time when you're pointing the fingers elsewhere as opposed to just saying, here's specifically how we're going to get out of this and when will it happen. That's why I don't think that's a good path for him to take for exactly those reasons. Um, When you're in power, you, you need to lead. Right. It's not about pointing the finger at somebody else. It's about marshalling people behind you and then go after the other side if they won't go along with what you're proposing. Feel free to ask them where are your bright ideas. But he has to show where he wants to take us on this. Um, I don't think there's going to be another issue more important uh, than this one for the midterms. And everything is going to rest on how. Um, things are doing um, a little closer to that time. Uh, you know, as, as important as, you know, uh, criminal justice reforms are, the climate change, everything else is going to be noise in the background compared to this rate of inflation. Uh, John, I agree with Pat, 1,000%. You know, part of what Joe Biden said yesterday, it was MAGA. It was MAGA. It was MAGA, mm-hmm. you know, and... John, I mean, no doubt the power of Donald Trump should not be denied. But there's a lot of Republicans who have different views on Joe Biden's economic policies who don't all just follow Donald Trump no matter where he goes. And again, I don't want to slight in any way the the amazing power that the former president has. But in this case, that's a lot of broad-based generalizing And for a guy who came into office, as somebody said, I can make deals. I can work with Republicans and did on infrastructure. That to me is a lot of they're screwing up. I'd figure this out, but they're stopping us from getting it done. There is indeed a lot of that. And in previous eras, when inflation has run hot like this, the way to cool it is via the Federal Reserve, as Patricia rightly pointed out. And that often 
gets very close to, if not triggers, an outright recession. You know, we forget about the within the context of the extraordinary popularity of President Reagan in the 1982 midterms, Republicans lost a significant number of seats, partly yep. because of the recession that was triggered by the Fed having to take the necessary action to ring inflation down, if not out of major economic sectors. I would quickly add that it's the subtraction of goods as well that makes this a particularly pernicious time for the country, the economy, and President Biden and Democratic Party, meaning we've had inflationary times before, but rarely have been such a shortage of so many basic goods, everything from automobiles on the higher end of the spectrum, housing as well, down to baby formula, which is a really difficult challenge for families at that stage of their children who need that at this point. And uh, President Biden, I think, clearly senses the political dynamics, let alone the human cost of these challenges. But again, you know, they'll probably defy political solutions. It'll probably be more of a monetary supply solution through the Federal Reserve. You know, um, Chad, the the uncomfortable fact about all of this is that everyone owns a piece of it. Um, This started as far back as uh, with the Trump uh, tax cut, which economists warned at the time was goosing the economy at a time when it didn't need that um, kind of measure. Then you throw in the American Recovery Act, a lot of which was necessary, but it flooded every state with money, you know, poured um, money into the pockets of consumers. It's not altogether unexpected that this would be the result. So instead of fighting about, you know, who's to blame for it, let's just accept that everyone owns a piece of this and start moving forward. Let's pause here, come back. I want to get uh, thoughts from Patricia and John about what's going to happen this uh, Friday night and Saturday with the Republican state convention and which candidate will get the endorsement to face Tim Walls in the fall if... As they've said, the other candidates step out of the race after the endorsement. That's coming up next with uh, Pat Lopez and John Rash from the Star Tribune here on CCO. Both our guests, as always, on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline, Pat Lopez, John Rash from the Star Tribune editorial board this uh, Friday night, Saturday. Uh, we will find out if the Republicans will endorse someone to be their endorsed candidate to oppose Tim Walls to be the next governor of the state of Minnesota. Uh, Tom Hauser from Channel 5 earlier this week, Pat, suggested he doesn't believe uh, a candidate will get to 60% and that they may come out without an endorsed candidate. What is your sense about where we are headed? Well, I have great respect for my good friend, Tom Hauser. Um, I went out of the prediction business along about the time that Jesse Ventura got elected. Um, but I would, I would say um, one thing that, you know, the candidates are all, um, they've got their own factions among the delegates. I'm not sure that anybody reaches 60%. I'm not sure that the strategy is for someone to, they may want to, basically allow everyone to run um, without endorsing anyone. Um, That happens in some conventions, and then they deadlock, and um, sometimes that's by design, and sometimes that's because one 
um, group of delegates is particularly adept at manipulating um, um, the outcome. Um, I, I think there's a there's a good chance here. Uh, each one of these delegates has, or I'm sorry, each one of these candidates has a different issue as their focus. Um, Scott Jensen is still very focused on COVID. I'm not sure how that's how well that's going to work now that the imminent threat appears to be waning. He may still be able to make something out of that. Um, Paul Gazelka has been more focused on um, criminal justice. Uh, you have Rich Stana kind of waiting in the in the wings back there. Um, and then there are others. I just um, I don't I don't sense at this point an overwhelming uh, momentum among delegates for one particular candidate. How about you, John? Indeed, it's not a two-candidate race. It's a multi-candidate field, and there's every reason that all of them are going to want this to go to a primary, unless, of course, they would be the ones to get the endorsement. But it's going to be quite difficult to get 60% of delegates to agree on one specific candidate, unless they truly feel that they need to leave the convention unified. They need to get all the candidates who don't get the endorsement pulling in the same direction and focus their financial assets on Governor Walls as opposed to each other for the next couple of months here. But I think that this has all the makings of potentially a non-endorsement at this point. But everything can and perhaps will happen here. I think this is going to be quite interesting. You know, we think of previous conventions and sometimes forgotten is how many ballots it took for Governor Pawlenty to get the endorsement, um, Mm -hmm. multi-ballots late into the night when he first got the endorsement. And then, of course, he went on to win the general election here. But, um, you know, there are, um, it seems that that there are two, you know, front runners, but not overwhelmingly so that that they'll be able to roll over the rest of the field in, in quick fashion. So this will be something to watch down in Rochester. Are you saying that's uh, Jensen and Gazelka? I do think that that's the case at this point. Um, you know, I think that a lot of the um, deep party activists are with um, Dr. Scott Jensen, and I think that some of the more traditional Republican activists, some of the party structure, because of his work in the legislature, might be behind Senator Gazelka at, at this point. So I think that, that uh, those two seem to be the front runners, certainly. Kendall Qualls, um, by all accounts, is, is coming on a bit strong as well. You know, you never know if, if some will combine or decide just to hang in there. So there isn't an endorsement. Again, many candidates have that that incentive behind them um, that they go to the primary at this point. But I think those two, at least after the first ballot, will be the top two vote getters. And where it goes from there um, is really anyone's guess. And, and and again, makes it for a, some compelling political dynamics down in Rochester. Yeah, should be uh, should be good theater to say the least. Folks, got to go up against the uh, break. Uh, Pat and John enjoyed it as always. Have a good uh, day, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Thank you.